Welcome to the Liner Note with your hosts, Ed Lopez Reyes, Jim Long, John Culkin, and Joe W. Joe, I'll hand it and Joe, I'll hand it over to you. So I know we, we got we don't want to keep JB too long, but you got some yeah. really good questions. So Yeah. There we go. I had it all set up. All right, so JB, all I do right. have a few things I want to ask you. But first, for everybody listening, I just want to paint the picture here. Right. I never saw JB before, and if you saw him, you would think he he could be Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. So we're gonna get back to that <laughs> to that possible to that possible gig coming up for you. But I want to go back a little bit because I know everybody has their own perceptions about you know when you get in a band and you're getting more popular, you're selling T-shirts, people are coming to shows to see you now. What what does that become like? And I always think, okay, now we're headlining a show. I mean, and, and you know, girls are screaming. When you go backstage, are there just women waiting for you everywhere? And it's just like, wow, you know, there's a hundred girls back here in the, in the by the dressing room area, and I got my pick of anybody that wants to come in here with me, or several of them at once. What is that like in reality? Well, it's you know. Now it's weird to look at it now because I see it as a dark thing now. Now I'm like happily married, you know, and 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 I couldn't imagine being unfaithful to her. So that was a like a very dark chapter in your life, and it doesn't happen overnight. Even though there are seven girls backstage willing to all seven of them go back to your room with you, and and it's like, okay, I'll take this one, you know, and then uh, then it that one didn't work out too good, you know, or like when you're in Japan, there was like 20 girls at my hotel room waiting in line, you know, and it's like, oh, I'll take the short one. And then, then, you know, 25 minutes from now, oh, send the tall one in, you know, and it's like, you know, but I don't know. It seems really dark to me now, you know, that I was involved sexually with all those strangers, you know, who the hell knows who they were? I believe, you know, when you have sex with someone, there's, you know, you get a little of their soul and they get a little of your soul. And and you don't realize that if you're just in your ego, you know, if you're just reeling from like, you know, trying to conquer the world, trying to compete with other people, and you really don't have any uh, spirituality in your life, you know, and so you don't see that you just, you just take, 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 you know. And then at some point in your life, you go, you know what? All I've ever done is taken, you know, and, you know, at some point you just want to give something back, you know, and I want my soul to be right, you know, with myself and God, you know, so. (laughs) All right. So, and like I said, we definitely want to hear about the prospect of this movie coming out and we might get the part. Uh, You said you're up for it for playing Steven Tyler. And you did mention before you're good friends with Matt Sorum, right? Yes. Yeah, so, we had a band together called Population Five, and this was uh, this was like 1982, and we were the number one drawing band in Los Angeles for selling tickets at clubs around there, and uh, we had a very big Christian following. I was the front man. I also played keyboards and uh, guitar in that band, and uh, you know, but uh, basically a front man, you know. And I had my hair like Billy Idol's. And, you know, I was I was totally into the psychedelic furs and David Bowie. And I wanted to be like that, you know, a little harder than those people. But, 
you know, so we had like a hard rock break. and bands like Mr. Mister were paying to open for us because we had the built in crowd. And that was, and, wow. I, and I think that had a lot to do with Matt Sorum too. He was an explosive drummer. He was very into, uh, Oh, I can't think of the guy's name right now. He, he got more groove oriented as you want to, but he was a very fusion jazz drummer in that band. You know, he was really into some slams and paradiddles and doing his, really complicated drumming and it went along really well with my songs and Danny Stagg was in that band and Prescott Niles was the bass player in the knack and uh and uh, he had joined as our bass player so we had a kind of like an all-star band and uh Shea Zero from the Orchids uh and Puss in Boots was uh she was like our utility guy girl you know and she played keyboard and guitar so whatever we needed on you know, certain songs, we always had the orchestration we needed, you know. And uh, so, yeah, that was good. And Matt, uh, like I say, Matt came to my show in 1988 and uh, up, up at Candlestick Park. He was sleeping on my floor. He was playing for Tori Amos in a band called Tori Can't Read. And I remember we were talking, we were having a heart to heart, you know, I love Matt. And he was, he almost started crying. He's going, yeah, Tori's great, but I want to rock, you know? And uh, and we had told, uh, Bob Rock had produced our first album, and he said, you know, the cult's looking for a drum, better drummer. You know, is there any other James Kotak floating around L.A.? I said, well, Matt Sorm's down there, you know? So I gave him Matt's number, and uh, he ended up playing on the cult's album. I guess a couple other people turned him in, too, uh, you know, for the gig. So he can't. I can't take full credit for it, according to Matt. <laughs> so, but he got that gig, and then uh, Axl Rose was at uh, the Cult show, and he was like really sick of Steven at the time. Even though Steven's probably one of the nicest people in rock and roll, but he was a little buzzed, you know. And and they didn't, mm. you know, they were all buzzed. So they were all like, "Well, if we get rid of the drummer, the rest of us can stay fucked up." <laughs> so, uh, you know, so they got rid. They got a drummer and matt's a drummer's drummer you know and steven adler was a great drummer but you know just a young kid that had a lot of inspiration and a lot of energy you know and uh i saw guns and roses very first show at an after hours party and they oh my god it was just wow. like these guys are going to be the biggest thing that ever happened you know you see axel rose screaming and dancing around i was like this is the best band i've ever seen in my life and then matt ended up like being their drummer you know so me and Matt still talk and, you know, uh, hang out a little bit. I, I saw him uh, at a Scorpion show a couple of years ago. We hung out all night. So, uh, yeah. And, and uh, the movie, so yeah. I, I would love to put that <laughs> band together again with Danny Stagg and Prescott Niles and Matt Sorum. And uh, now there is a band called Population 5. They stole our name. And uh, oh, so man. I guess we couldn't <laughs> find that name again. I <laughs> couldn't have that name again. Uh, maybe. Who knows? We could get off them. Yeah, I, I had to ask about them. Uh, I was a yeah. huge Guns N' Roses fan, Velvet Revolver, yeah. and then, you know, that kind of fell apart, and I haven't heard much from them, so if you guys get the band back together, if you can come to Northern Virginia, okay. that would be great. Cool. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I would love that. But, but yeah, getting on to the to the movie, can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, you know, I, I'm just fresh. I You know, when I lived in uh, Los Angeles, I lived in Hollywood for about 33 years, and then I lived in Malibu for about five, and then I moved to Florida. But, uh, you know, I had uh, 
Susan Joseph was my uh, manager. You know, I had several acting agents and all this stuff. And then when I got in Kingdom Come and met the president of Hologram, and he really was like turned off that I had done so many movies, right? And they were just really crappy little roles, you know, in movies, uh, and you know, one-liners. And, and most people saw me in that course commercial because it played like, you know, 190 times and played on the Super Bowl. And, uh, and then I did a, I did a movie with Matt and Danny and, uh, Terry Nails from, uh, Tommy Tutone. And it was called Dirty Laundry. And, it, and Sonny Bono was my manager and Frankie Valley was my uncle. And it was this mafia movie about, you know, our roadie finding a bunch of cocaine in his laundry. And it was a horrible movie. But there is a great scene in that movie with me and Matt Storm and Danny Stagg and Terry Nails where we, we perform a whole song in front of a giant audience. So check that out. And uh, <laughs> so the, the point to it was, though, I had everything in line when I was in Hollywood. Well, when I moved to Florida, I basically said, screw all this. You know, Hollywood was getting a little, uh, I don't know how to put it mildly, let's say communist. I don't know. It was just, you know, uh, China had bought up a lot of the studios. This whole woke thing was starting. Uh, L.A., I had I had been carjacked at gunpoint five different times, and they stole Damn. my five wow. of my vintage American muscle cars, you know, at gunpoint. And then I was ripped off like three other times at gunpoint for over $90,000 in cash, you know. So I was just like, you know, and, and why, you know, my parents were saying, why are you still in Los Angeles if all this crime is happening to you? And I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll come to Florida. So I came to Florida and I was really glad I came to Florida, a whole different scene. But now with this, uh, they're doing this uh, Steven Tyler movie. I still wish I had an agent and stuff. So I'm going to try and put that together. I mean, 10 times a day, someone comes up to me and says, are you Steven Tyler? And I will tell them, no, I'm not. Or they go, oh, my God, you're that. And I go, Steven Tyler. And they say, yes. And it's like, I'm not Steven Tyler. And then I'll have to convince people that I'm not Steven So, and then my brother, he says, let me put your picture in AI, right? This AI app he had. And it said, I was Steven Tyler. So my features... My mouth features, nose, and eye features must be so similar to his. And I don't really see it myself. You know, I'm a natural blonde. I'm much taller than him, much thinner than him. And uh, so we'll see. Uh, that all comes off good on camera, though. So uh, I, that would be great. And if I could make a couple million dollars playing Steven Tyler in a movie at 70 years old, I would love that. I mean, that's... You know, and uh, and I have a lot of faith that that may happen, you know, and if Johnny Depp gets the part, you know, I'll, I'll curse him out for a couple of months and then I'll realize Johnny Depp is me and another being, you know, so. <laughs> All right, and, and so your plan next, you're talking about a tour, talking about going to Europe. Yeah. And we, we, just, got, we just got back from uh, doing Swedish Rock Fest. With uh, Guns N' Roses, okay. like, you know, mm -hmm. there's probably like 25 bands there. And uh, that went okay. James was, you know, starting to get back into his alcohol. And he didn't play that well. And then he went into rehab right after that. And that's when we started getting uh, we started getting substitutes, you know. Any plans coming up the following year for maybe a North American type tour? Uh, I would like to get back into that. I don't know. It's, 
it seems like the band, you know, like maybe we made a mistake when we did all those, uh, we did our own tours and we ended up like going out and, you know, we could sell maybe, you know, 400 to uh, 1500 tickets, but it just wasn't thrilling that many people. So we, we, our plan should have been just do rock festivals, you know, just open for, you know, uh, sister Christian or, you know, Vince Neil or, you know, uh, M3, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sebastian Bach or, you know, just get on those kind of shows where they draw the people and we warm up the audience and nobody counts how many people we drew and how many they drew. And, and, you know, and then we annihilate audiences wherever we go. We are a very powerful band and, uh, and very visual and we put on a good show and we rock our balls off. So, uh, you know, I mean, that's what it's all about. So, but you know, when you get into the business side of things, no, we're not a Bon Jovi. We didn't sell 7 million records on every record that came out, you know? So, uh, it's better for us to hang with other bands that sold similar amounts of records that us, you know, and go out and do festivals. So that's what we're kind of looking at. And I'd be happy doing that. The touring, you know, when you're in your 60s and, uh, you know, touring is not as fun as it used to be. There is not seven girls at every show for me now, you know. Uh, there's usually uh, one of the, yeah, my grandmother had sex with you 40 years ago. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the hottest gig at your gig, and you're not interested anyway. But now all that jet lag and no sleep and, you know, and not eating properly is like taking its toll on you, you know. So, so. I have one, Joe. I'm not sure you had any additional questions. I have one more question that I'll okay. regret not asking, because uh, I know you've been generous with your time. We're a little bit over the hour, uh, JB, and we so appreciate it. But so I wanted to ask you one last thing. When I so I, I grew up a big fan of Kingdom Come. Uh, you know, it's in my top ten bands for sure, probably in top five. Yeah, cool. And um, I always, as a fan, uh, really disagreed with uh, you know the whole Zeppelin thing that came up. But the thing that I find real so and, and particularly is a lot of bands in that era were influenced by Zeppelin, oh, some yeah. of them even more than you guys. I thought it was an unfair uh, assessment. But what I find very curious is that today, Greta Van Fleet, they get praised for sounding exactly like Zeppelin. So whereas like you guys had an original sound that I think was influenced by Zeppelin, you guys got ripped apart for that, for having that influence, basically, yeah. which I think is a legit thing. But yeah. Greta Van Fleet somehow is being celebrated for sounding almost exactly like them. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I mean, uh, they're talented guys. I'm not saying they're not, but is there something unfair in that? I think you got you got to look at that. Led Zeppelin was the greatest rock band that ever lived. You know, yeah. and and you know, they're how, how would they have like eight, nine albums? You know, and they you know songs off every one of them. The, the baddest ass drummer that ever lived. You know, Jimmy Page, you know, arguably the greatest guitar player that ever lived, especially for his time. I mean, and Jimi Hendrix and Jeff Beck and uh, there was a lot of people, you know, that were like competing for that top spot. But really, nobody moved you like Jimmy Page. You know, when that right. guy started ripping a solo, it's like, oh, my God, this guy just has soul out of his ass. I mean, you know, and his fingers were amazing. And now, like, well, Jimmy Page was kind of sloppy. Well, yeah, compared to Yngwie Malmsteen or, you know what I mean? It's like stuff, stuff. Yeah. you know, nobody could ever run a four-minute mile, right? 
And then somebody did right. it, and then all of a sudden everybody could do it. You know, it's a hundred right. monkey effect. <laughs> you know, it's like one person yeah. learned something. So now people look at Jimmy Page and go, well, yeah, he was a decent guitar player, kind of sloppy, you know, made a lot of noise and stuff. But, you know, how about giving him credit for he was the, he was the first one? You know, he was the right. first one to sound like that. And mm. I, I still wish I could play, you know, some of the solos he played, you know, because they were so inspirational yeah. and stuff. So, you know, I'll come right out and say it now. We we, we didn't really, we were kind of, you know, danced around it back in the old day. But, you know, Derek Shulman signed John Bon Jovi and he, he signed the band Bon Jovi, you know, mm. and then he signed the band Cinderella. Right. And he was at Polygram. Right. So they're like bowing down saying, yeah, Derek Shulman, he is the king of Polygram now. He's, you know, signed two bands that have now off their first two albums have sold 20 million records. Right. right. So Derek, whatever you want to do, we will back you on. What do you want to do? And he goes, it's a no brainer. He says, there's 150 stations in America alone that are playing over two hours of Led Zeppelin a day. We need to put a band together that sounds like Led Zeppelin. I know this guy in Germany that sounds like Robert Plant. All we need to do is find four other guys that can, or three other guys that can sound yeah. like Led Zeppelin. So when I came in and auditioned on bass, I went, you know, hullabaloo bass line, just like John Paul Jones, yeah. you know, and it's okay, you got the bass gig, you know, and James <laughs> played more like John Bonham than anybody else that tried out. You right. Know? So, so, yeah, we tried to sound like Led Zeppelin. I don't think we did that great a job of it. Maybe Van, the Greta Van Fleet does a better job of it. But now they're trying to get away from it, too. You see, he cut his hair off. He started wearing weird, weird clothes. And, you know, but they can't get away from it. And when they were right. asked about it, they said, oh, no, we're trying to sound like Aerosmith. You know, so everybody <laughs> denies it. But, and you know, yeah. I think so many years have gone by, too. And when they first came out, they mentioned Kingdom Come a few times. Like, well, this happened to Kingdom Come, too. And, uh, right. you know, did it help us or did it hurt us both? You know, well, it helped us for a while. Some, some critics had said, oh, my God, these guys are great. They sound just like Led Zeppelin. Then the second album comes out and it goes, oh, my God, these guys suck. They ripped off Led Zeppelin. You know, it's two diametrically opposed opinions yeah. from the same person, you know. Well, I mean, so, as a fan, what I what I felt was uh, I liked a lot of bands that were influenced influenced by Led Zeppelin. I liked yeah, blues based hard rock. I thought yeah, you guys were in that I genre, did, yeah. but you guys did a great job. Those were great, great albums. And there's a band; uh, they're more of a pop rock band uh, that I know, famous in the '80s, Simple Minds. And I remember reading the singer one time talking about being influenced by Kingdom Come. So it's like oh, you wow. find these people who had you know were really influenced by the band, but you know yeah. you gotta. You know, it was a controversial period in history, and a lot of bands were being criticized at that point, and then grunge kind of took over. So it was like several things that happened that uh, I think undermined a lot of good rock acts in the end. But uh, Well, but, I, heard um, Zach, I heard Zach yeah. Wilde say, they said, well, who's your biggest influence to Zach Wilde? And he says, CeCe DeVille. And I was like, there you oh, go. my God, <laughs> is, is that a joke? You know, I mean, since CeCe's a great guitar player. So the thing about that, which really struck me weird, is because CeCe DeVille always gave me credit for his hairdo. He says, he always used to come see my band with Matt Sorum and Danny, uh, Population 5. He's going, and he tried this to get fired, to fire Danny so he could be the guitar player. But he <laughs> stole my hairdo, you know, yeah. note for I note. remember the puffy hair in the, yeah, it was like in the, Thank it's in God the picture of the first away. album, yeah. And the worst part about the 80s was chicks wore hairspray. Who wants a chick to wear hairspray? I don't, you know. You want to <laughs> put your hair through her hand, you 
or your hand through her hair, you don't want it to get stuck in the Aquanet, you know. And that's well, fortunately, the and it was flammable think, and cancerous. So, well, I think the hairspray sales are down, but uh, but JB, we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. You've been very, very hey, generous with it. I don't know, including me in this. I really appreciate. Yeah, it. thanks John a lot, JB. Good talking to you. Oh yeah, it was, it was great, yeah. JB. Thank you so All much. Right. All right. Yep. Okay. Let's talk and, later. Then. Have a great. All day. right. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Thanks Again, a lot, JB. Yeah. God bless. Bye. 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 All right. So, uh, thanks so much, JB. Uh, I think he's signing off, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I, do Great interview. Do some sort of outro. Yeah, he's a he's a. I don't know if you guys have listened to Kingdom Come. I like them a lot, but uh, uh, um, I listened to a little bit leading up to this, and yeah. uh, you know, you know, just little little here and there. wasn't too familiar right. with them. But a great interview, a lot of good insight. I had a blast. An hour went by like it was nothing, like ten minutes. I could have listened yeah. to him for hours. Talk, great stories. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you know, guys, so I think the guy's probably a genius. I mean, he seems yeah. so brilliant about his, his absolutely life and his uh, his approach to music and all of the ups and downs he's had in the music industry. It was so fascinating to to hear it because he gave us sort of an inside window into what's going on beh- behind the stage. You know. <laughs> Yeah, and actually, I like that. That was fun. I think yeah, he, he talked to he talked about some things that I hadn't read in the press before, and I've read a lot about them. So yeah. <laughs> you're gonna yeah, say and he's just he's just a very genuine, straightforward guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can I tell. Agree. You know, he's what he says. I, he's believable. Like you listen to some people, yep. and you're like, really? And they and then they change their story. <laughs> this guy just straightforward. He has he's everything. To, I mean, yeah, it was a great time <laughs> talking to him. And um, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to look forward to seeing if they come around my area. That's for sure. And yeah, we too. definitely, uh, we definitely yeah. do have some updates too uh, from from my past podcast before we sign off. Uh, last Friday, I went to go see Novarium with Dixie Filth and Accident. Accident will be playing Sounded at the like Whiskey Go Go. Yeah, oh, uh, wow. that band Accident's going to be playing at the Whiskey Go Go in August. There, no, nobody in the band I don't think is even 18 yet. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're going to be traveling across country to play there. I got to talk with them briefly and their parents. <laughs> so it was it was an interesting time just talking to them. I got a card, told them about the podcast. So I'm going to try to get them on the show. They're, they were awesome. very energetic. Yeah. And then I got to see Dixie Filth. And we're going to do a short show about them. I did an on-scene interview, yeah. only a few minutes. These guys are just out there having a good time. Uh, they're, <laughs> you know, they're like... Um, you know, this Southern heavy metal sound and they, they fit the bill when you see them. And you, I think people are going to really enjoy the interview. And then we got to see the band that we interviewed first, Novarium. They came yeah. out, they did really well. They attracted a good crowd. They were selling merchandise and they just put out some really good news that they got signed by a small label out of Philadelphia. Wow. So that's, that's big great. news for them. That's news. great. Yeah. That is really awesome. I mean, they're, they're, they sound fantastic. So yeah. I'm hoping they come up here and do a show. We went to, and by the way, the, the mini interview is great. We should, you know, I, I, I think John's going to, John, by the way, for those listening, is the guy who does a lot of the editing with uh, one of his colleagues. And I think that that's going to go up as some, uh, like a little bit of an extra on the liner note. But um, we saw, Jim and I went to see uh, uh, Jerry Cantrell and we liked the show so much in Montclair, New Jersey. We went back to the Huntington, New York show uh, last night. Um and those two shows were great. I also saw on Friday Riley DeGarmo, who's much mellower, but is in the same family and universe in, in a lot of ways because her dad is Christy Garmo, who played with Queensryche. 
And uh, she's actually open for Alice in Chains, which is quite a contrast. Uh, <laughs> she did that in uh, in Washington State. I don't know what city. Um, I forget. But uh, so it was a very Seattle focused weekend for uh, for us over here in New York. So <laughs> it was very interesting. Great, good stuff. All right. Though. All right, great. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us for another episode of Liner Note. Hope you enjoyed the interview. We got some more things coming up, and we'll see you soon. Okay. Thanks Thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to The Liner Note. Until next time.